Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So we've had the French. The French is done and dusted and we had a little bit of a delay. What? We're, moving, we're moving on. <laughs> Not going to talk about it. French is done. We're not going to talk about the French. So that happened. Everybody, welcome to... No, I was going to say... I was going to say that there was a little bit of a delay for our uh, look back pod. Because firstly, it's you and I trying to coordinate our life these days, which is, is actually really hard. And secondly, you've been a little bit under the weather. So you wouldn't have really had a voice. A couple of, it would have been like the, a five minute sort of look back pod. Right? I mean, a little bit under the weather is an understatement. <laughs> it was. I'm, I'm in full feel sorry for myself mode. Um, <laughs> I did. Oh, I worked. I worked on the French, and we had a yeah, so much fun. It was. It was a, an absolute blast. I had some epics. I had some real epics. That's what happens when <laughs> when you're on when you're on court, Suzanne Longlin. Most oh, of yes. the time, you had. Did you have Hadaj Meyer? I had Hadaj Meyer. Yes. Um, so that was one of the longest matches of all time, and uh, that rolled then, into the second one. And then the you second had eight one hours. Was, was was five sets. Yeah, exactly. So, so it was oh, about eight and a yes, half. That day. that day. Plus we'd done a bit of build up, so it was all in all, give or take around nine ish on air. Um, and obviously we, we were on a digital stream, so there's no breaks. You're talking every sit down, and you just. And then just hang going. on, did <laughs> did you swap over to another team when Shviontic came off and? Lesia Serenko retired and they were on court for about yes. 20 minutes. <laughs> yes. And by the time by the time I, by the time I was home, that next team messaged me going, Serenko retired. <laughs> it's very funny. Um but yeah, so I had some epic days. Anyway, the long and short of it was that by the end I was uh, yeah, struggling a little bit and uh, I, I ended up with tonsillitis over the weekend. So that has been horrendous. If anyone who's had tonsillitis, you know what it's like. It is just no, but awful. hang on a sec. What I don't understand is we sent each other, we basically stayed in contact with voice notes, which you've just discovered. I don't know where you've been. Like, I honestly have you've been in doing. the last where three weeks I've just started voice noting people. It's it's so good. Where have you been? This is what I do, though. I, I, t- I come to trends and fashions very, very late. Wow. <laughs> like I I was, but this, this is great. So then I, you'd said, I'd send you, normally send you one on my walk past the Parc de Prince, PSG Stadium, yes. all the way to work. Because that was like my window. I realised I had one window a day to, to call someone or to leave basically a podcast length voice note for someone. And that was it. So I'd send you one. And you'd send one back and I'd try and listen to it at work. If not, I'd listen to it on the way back. And one of them, I was horrified. I was walking back. It was about midnight. And you were telling me about your tonsillitis, which was bad enough. But then you said, and I still can't understand this, that you you took a photo or you looked at your own tonsils and saw what was going on in there. And I still don't understand how you do that or why you do that. How do you? Yeah. Well, I, I did it because I suspected I had tonsillitis and you need to look at your tonsils to see if you have tonsillitis because uh, they change colour. 
and um, you you need to, no. You're you're trying to do it now with a phone. <laughs> you need to use a mirror. It's a combination of a mirror and a phone camera, and then you can have a look at your tonsils. But you can <laughs> not like that. But you can you can get it. You can get a good old look in there, and it was a mess. And I'm and I'm sorry, but I'm walking back. It's it's around midnight, so you just you keep an eye what's around you. It's a lovely neighbourhood, but you keep an eye. And I'm hearing this. It was like being in some kind of horror movie. So it's pitch black. I'm walking along. <laughs> I'm looking left and right. You're describing stuff on your tonsils. And I'm thinking, A, how did you look at them? Which you've now told me it's a couple of things. B, I'm like, why would you do that? Just let the doctor do that. Why did you do that? It's horrible. Well, I had a look just to, just to see Aww. see what was going on, and it, yeah. Anyway, doctors did confirm it was absolutely uh, tonsillitis. Another highlight from our voice notes was when <laughs> was when I was recording one, and I was going past um, a billboard, <laughs> and on the billboard <laughs> was an advert, and and it's it had Casparood on it. And I just got so excited because <laughs> I was just so surprised to see Casper Ruud standing there. It was an advert for Samsonite luggage, yeah. which I guess is one of his Makes sponsors. Makes sense. Travels a lot. Um, and he's standing there holding his holding his racket in his in his nice sort of studio dark, like dark room, but with like good lighting on him doing his modelling thing. And it, it's not like he was there because there's Wimbledon or anything. He's just there on the Samsonite campaign at the bottom of my road. Well, what made me laugh was not that you don't get excited often, but like normally, (laughs) but normally the voice, okay, normally voice notes during a Grand Slam have a certain tone. We're normally very, very tired. They're normally being sent in the morning or the evening. A little bit delirious. A little bit delirious, slightly kind of, oh, but the the joy, the joy in your voice as I listen. I, I can remember exactly where I was. I've just crossed the traffic lights from my hotel. I started laughing because the joy in your voice as you described saying Casparood on this Samsonite advert. You was like, wow, and there was Casparood. I was like, okay. Uh, uh, but maybe, as you said, maybe it was delirium. Maybe that was your delirious phase, right? Yeah, and that in, in the... Um it was definitely in a bit of delirium and <laughs> when I had those it had Haraj Meyer and then it was Runa after that um, and in his five set match I hit a real point of just being completely delirious when <laughs> so many people I knew messaged me who were watching and some people later on who were watching on like like catching up later were just cracking up because I just was hysterically laughing because we were getting shots of Patrick Moritoglu in the box telling Runa to step in on the return, saying go forward, step in on the return. Like you could see what he was saying, he was speaking in English. And it, <laughs> certainly he was making his signals as he does. It was quite clear. So for a couple of points I was saying, yeah, so Patrick just really wants him to step in. He played another point, then he went to return again. Uh, and I was like, no, he still wants him to be in more than that. And so that was sort of the talking point. And then it cut to the next point. And at this point, Runa had got pretty stroppy. And he just looked at Patrick. And then, and then he just walked as far back to the back of the court as he could <laughs> and did a full Daniel Medvedev return position of like seven <laughs> metres behind the baseline. And I was just absolutely, I was I laughed so hard. And I, I think it probably, I did turn my microphone off because I was laughing too hard, but if I left my microphone on for about three points, I was just giggling. <laughs> I just thought it was so funny. They, we just done this whole big thing of like, yeah, so he's got to step in. That's what Patrick wants him to do. That's what he's trying to do. And then he was literally just like, piss off, Patrick. <laughs> 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 I'll be 
<laughs> oh, that was my favourite highlight. But as I say, you have to add in a lot of... That was like maybe the eighth hour of commentary we were doing. Seventh, hour, seventh eighth hour. It was quite late in the oh, day. Every, so. Yeah, every now and then. And I was at that point getting the TV show ready for the evening. So I write all the highlights and I had all these gaps. Is that magically finished? Is that going to be on? What's going to be on court? And every now and then I'd look up on my WhatsApp and there'd be a message and you'd go, no, <laughs> it's, oh, <laughs> oh, it's still going. <laughs> and I had the TV on in the office and I was kind of watching it and writing. I just thought, oh, Christ, you are still talking. And I think, yeah. And then obviously the next match doesn't last very long. <laughs> That's over and it was like, yeah. Okay, okay, that's... So it was like eight hours of tennis that put everything behind and then it it kind of caught up with itself, which was... It's crazy, isn't it? Already. It was so much fun though. They were good matches, and we yeah. really enjoyed them. So, like, we we at the end we were exhausted, but we were like, we've had a great time. I was alongside um, Barry Cowan for that, so yeah, we had a good time. Yeah, you get those matches, and they're they're long, but you get into them, and they're they're great fun. But you're exhausted at the end. You're just slightly delirious, uh, which is when, as I say, you and I spent a lot of our time communicating. If we published any of those voice notes, you get ex- so you get excited about Casper. Do you want to start in the men's draw then, as you got excited about Casper in his Samsonite suitcase? Excellent. Let's do it. Yes. What, what do you want Go me on to then. say? No, men's that one. Draw. I picked hey. it. I picked both winners. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Did you? Yeah. I'm but pretty again, sure I did. Again, it, it's well done, but you didn't go out in a limb, Thank you. did you? But well done. No, but that's not that wasn't the task. It wasn't it wasn't pick a dark horse or an outsider. It was pick the winner. Yeah, and so well I didn't get done oh, me. <laughs> I didn't get either, did I? No. I went Alcaraz and Sabalenka, didn't I? Did you? Or did you or Rabakoko? No. No. I think for no. I I would have no, I don't, I don't think uh, I got. Do you know what? I, 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 can I just say the, the history of this podcast we've been going for years now. Predictions have been shocking. Awful. As in even flipping a coin would be better than listening to us, right? And particularly me. However, this French Open, I think it all came good because I I went out on a limb and I said there is no chance Daniel Medvedev is winning the French Open. He lost in the first round. Yes, you did. I said that Coco is not going to be able to stand up to the very best players in the world. And that's exactly what we saw. Like she did well until that point. And I picked Fiontech. And Djokovic as winners. I, I, should, I need to retire now. Oh, very good. From from the oh, podcast, thanks. from predictions or from everything? <laughs> Have we just made an announcement that I knew nothing about? <laughs> this, oh. is, this is it. We're never going to predict again. No, I was... Um, yeah, my predictions... Okay, well, this is where we dive into this. We could, because there's, there's a couple of talking about it. We're starting with the men's. There's a couple of talking about it. I do want to talk about Alcaraz and what happened there. I think Kasparud, I think what he's doing is, is phenomenal. Three finals in the last five Grand Slams. No, he hasn't crossed the finish line yet, but look, he's four in the world. He's 24 years of age. He's he's doing so well. And, and I, I do believe he's going to get there. He didn't have a lot of form in the early part of this year. One Estoril came into form at the right time, got to the final. So I think for Kasparud, phenomenal tournament once again. For Djokovic, I mean, look, he, he's he's tied with Serena Williams now, 23. He's the all-time leading man with 23. He's the only man to have won at least three of each of the slams. I mean, it's, you know, the, and, and he, I think he made this point, didn't he, to his team in his speech, sorry if I've been awful, or words to that effect, because... There's history, and you know there was a telling moment for me that we working with the FFT, we sometimes get interviews with the finalists after their final practice. 
just literally, how are you feeling? You're ready to go. And so Casper Reed did his and he was like, oh, it's such an honour and it's great. And like, You're very nice, you know, could imagine him with a Samsonite suitcase being very happy and lovely. And then Djokovic, you know, blah, 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 fine. Then the question was, you know, how do you relax because there's so much on the line, like history. And we remember what happened in 2021, right? At the Olympics, when initially it was the Golden Slam, and then the US Open. And he gave polite but short, sharp shrift to the reporter. It's not special. It's nothing online. It's fine. Bye. And, and then, then you could tell it, it's it's there, isn't it? He wants he wants to make history. He wants to break records. He wants to go into the history books. And he was dealing. Okay, he had never lost to Rude, and he'd won eight straight sets. But he was dealing with his own inner. Uh, chatting about what he could achieve and I think again he just stood up to it and and did what he does yeah it was fascinating I think particularly going into the Alcaraz match into the semi-final um, because everybody hyping up Alcaraz understandably so I get it I mean some of the stuff that he did you see him play against Tsitsipas I mean we sorry I've just gone off on a tangent we had Alex Correcha in the box next to us who kept looking through the glass literally with his jaw on the floor could not process what he had just seen and at one point Correcha actually came into our commentary box saying is this really happening I mean it was it was astonishing but sorry yes sorry yes yeah, but it's basic. The thing is, is that this is the test, right? This is why the top guys have really stifled everybody else because it's about can you do that on the big stage, best of five sets against somebody of the level of Djokovic over and over and over again? And you knew that Djokovic was just going to produce a very good level. Look, if they had both played the best tennis that we saw from them in the tournament, Alcaraz wins comfortably, of course. And yeah, I think if, yeah. if they both play their best tennis, Alcaraz wins comfortably. Like, you know, But that's not what the question is. The question is, can you win today? Can you do it today? And can you do it? And you know, I know he had the cramping and everything, but we're just talking about Djokovic for the moment. But that is the ultimate test. And yes, it used to be Nadal at, at Roland Garros, and it's been Djokovic everywhere else. Um you know, and that is it, it. It shows you how Alcaraz is a phenomenon. You know everything that he does, but that is still a step away. That's how hard it is to. He, you, know, you know, these guys have completely shut everybody out. I mean, nobody's even had a thought of really winning apart from on a very off day. Um, but if Djokovic is going to deliver a decent to good, like a good level. It's so incredibly difficult, incredibly difficult. Um, you know, I mean, we saw in the final against Rude, like, I mean, that first set was just so brutal. I know the temperatures and stuff were tough as well, but like, it was so brutal. You were just thinking, I mean, what does Casper do? I mean, okay, you could, you know, go again, lift the level or whatever. Of course he fell away because, I mean, it was just ridiculous. You can't even win a set like that. And, of course, the tie breaks that Djokovic produced in the tournament were flawless. But that's the challenge. That's what they've always done. That's what Federer's always done. That's what Nadal's always done. That's what Djokovic has always done. In terms of those three, the challenge is so ridiculous. And to look at somebody like Alcaraz, who is better than anybody else that we've had for a very long time, you know, and he is any of the other players that have been on the cusp or might have nicked a slam here and there or won a few, like um, like Stan and Andy, you know, I'm even, you know, his ceiling is so much higher um, and he is better than them. But 
it is just such a phenomenal it's a it's a it's a big mountain yeah sure he won the US Open but that's different you know so I don't know it, it it's for me going into the match I was thinking well right now let's see can he deliver it point after point after point because it had been a little bit more erratic from him through the tournament it obviously been some amazing stuff um but you just knew Djokovic was going to ask that of him and ask that of Rude in the final and I think Rude fell quite short um who knows whether Alcaraz would have fallen short without cramping but unfortunately that's part of it it's dealing with the occasion and um yeah, I mean, Djokovic rolls into Wimbledon as the, the comfortable favourite. 34th Grand Slam final, 7th at Roland Garros, now three Roland Garros titles, 23 Grand Slam singles titles. I mean, the numbers, the records are ridiculous. I was actually asked at the airport on the way home, how many Grand Slam titles do I think Novak Djokovic will end on? And I've gone, I'm getting, getting a number for you as well, I've gone 26. Yeah. It's, it's tough, isn't it? Because um, 20, 24, he's got to get to 25 to break the record. So he's done 23. Margaret Court's 24. So he's he's definitely going to be gunning for 25. And I've I've kind of, yeah, 26. I've Because yeah. cause the others are coming. The others are learning. The, the US Open is, is still, you do get some different strange results, different winners. I think Roland Garros is, is not going to be as straightforward. So... Yeah, what 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 number would you like to put on it? Well, I, I had the same conversation because I think that's what most people were, were really talking about, weren't they? <laughs> but um, I, I went with twenty five. Okay, I think twenty five. I mean, look, it's totally possible that he could be pushing up way higher than this. But um, you know, you do have Carlos really coming. Like Carlos is, he's not that far away, and in actuality, he's already got a lot of the boxes ticked in terms of his level is good enough. We know that he can deliver it. It's now just about delivering it every single time um, and in those particular situations. So, you know, I can't see what happened in the semi-final with him cramping and having to just, you know, bow out like that. Um, I, I mean, it's not going to happen again, is it? Well, you'd, you'd like to think not. But then, so let, let's talk about the cramping because it's... And how it was dealt with and how it's allowed to be dealt with and the rules and what happened. And he was very honest afterwards, basically saying, you know, the nerves, the occasion, facing like someone like Novak Djokovic. But then how can you say it won't happen if, for instance, he was facing Novak Djokovic in the final of Wimbledon, if it comes down to a mental side of things? Because it's not necessarily... It affects you physically, but it seems to have come largely mentally from the mental side of things. Yeah, it's stress and nerves and anxiety. It's absolutely exhausting. You're you're tense. You'll be tense all day. You'll be tense probably from the night before. You probably slept a bit tense, you know, and it all just builds and builds. Um, and, you know, and he was. He was really uptight through that first set and a bit, wasn't he, really? And it took him a little bit of time to settle and then it wasn't long before then, then the cramping kicked in. So the damage was done. <clears throat> no, I think... Um, I, I, I just don't think it will happen again. He'll just learn to manage the stress, learn to manage the nerves better because you're not going to be as nervous now because, you know, when you're you're nervous and you're anxious, you're always thinking about, like, you know, the worst-case scenario. I think the worst-case scenario happened, really. Yeah. He, he completely broke down and fell apart, which has never happened to him. Physicality has never been a question for him at all. So that must have been the biggest shock to the system. You know, that would be very humbling, you know, very difficult for him to deal with. But 
he will deal with it. And yeah, I just don't think he's going to be as nervous now because he's going to, if say he plays him in the final of Wimbledon, he's going to say, well, what's the worst that can happen? I've already had to cramp and roll over one time. Like, yeah, but it surely can't get the, worse than that. Yeah, but surely the worst that can happen is that happening again. Because I know we talk about managing stress and there'll be ways that they'll look at, but I mean, because you've got to think that he yeah, ate but the, everything the first time. I know what you're saying, but the fact that, like, as in, this is something that Alcaraz would never have even considered happening. No, I know. Juan Carlos Ferreira would have never considered the fact that after, when, when did he actually start cramping? Two sets in? Yeah, after, in the third set. The, Just not the even considered At the end of the that. second game of the third set, because then he conceded the third game at the beginning of his serve. Yeah. So the number one thing they would be saying to him before the match is that physically you're you're leagues above Djokovic right now, which he is. You know, like you know, physically, don't worry about it. Make it t- you know, as tough as it is, as tired as you feel, as much as you've got to suffer. Just know that you are absolutely wearing him down, and you can beat him physically over best of five. That's yeah. what they would have believed. So then, all of a sudden, you know, cramping is about fatigue. It's about stress. It's about lack of preparation. It's all things that are manageable, which is why you're not allowed to receive treatment for it. Because the argument from players are, is that um, if I have worn down my opponent enough that they start cramping, that I should receive the benefit for that. They shouldn't be able to have a massage and have some time off and like time out and, and stop cramping and then be able to continue on. You know, I've beaten them physically. They can't last very long because it is to do with preparation, having enough hydration, salts, all that sort of stuff. That's about being professional. And, um, and then about just physically dealing with, with stuff. Um, so that's the reason why you aren't allowed to have medical timeouts, uh, for it. However, you then have the flip side of tennis as a sport. You don't want Carlos to pull out. I mean, he couldn't. He couldn't step on his leg to begin with. So you want them to receive some treatment, but for the benefit of the opponent, you don't want them to have a medical timeout and actually impact the match and the flow of the match. So um, the happy medium, which is what happy, unhappy, I don't know. But the medium that they found the compromise is that you get. Uh, treatments at the change of ends which is why we saw obviously Carlos concede so that he could go to concede that game so he could go to the change of ends and he had what two treatments at the change of ends and and that's what you're allowed and look he was able to finish the match so it's sort of a win-win because Djokovic you know this is how the rule is supposed to work Djokovic got the benefit of the fact that his opponent was not fit enough but the crowd got to see the end of the match because Carlos was able to somewhat play and I think it looked more dramatic to some, especially those in the stadium, because it was the beginning of the third game. He had to concede the whole game. And I think that's why people felt, you know, if there was maybe a point in it or one point to go, it wouldn't have been, oh, he's just conceded a point the way people were looking at it, because it was the whole game. People were like, what? And it was a service game yeah. as well. It was a break. Like, that was that was set done, potentially. Yeah. And it and it, it was interesting. I was, I was looking at... Um, I was commentating on the match and I was looking on social media and, and Andy Roddick was really interesting. He was kind of giving kind of blow by blow of what was going on and it's cramping it's this. And he basically said it, it's done now. He said it, it's done. There's, there's yeah, you, can't, you, can't, you can't play at the right level again. Can't. He was able to get enough treatment that he could finish the match, but it wasn't wasn't a good level. Was and he's, it? I have to say from our crest, though, and, and I, I spoke to a couple of the British journalists and they they really applauded his honesty and he basically came into the press conference and not that he could necessarily hide it, but he was really, really honest with, with what happened and, and, and the fear and the nerves and going out there. And, and I, I just, I, he's, 
he's great, isn't he? He's great for the game. He's great for everything. The smile on his face, his openness. Uh, I did some fun things with him at the start of the tournament for, for the FFT. And uh, he's just, he's a great character. And he came in and he was very honest. And as you said, he's he's going to learn from it. He will hope it won't happen again. Hopefully it won't happen again. It's, it's I guess, he's aware of it now, right? So he's aware that that is a possibility. So it's something that will be factored maybe a little bit more consciously into to preparations for big matches like that. Yeah, and he's really not had anything not go his way since he burst onto the scene, to be honest. Um, he's absolutely flown up. He's improved so much. Um, he's had a lot of niggling injuries. He's had to pull out of a lot of tournaments. So I know that managing... The, but a lot of that is managing. It's not necessarily like, oh, I can't physically play a match. A lot of it is you're playing a lot. You seem to be winning most tournaments you're playing. So that means you're going deep and... You know, a lot of it will be a choice from the camp to say, right, let's not play next week. I've got a bit, yep. bit of a sore, sore stomach. Let's rest next week. It's not really an ab tear, although I'm sure he did have strains at a certain point. But you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's not necessarily as bad as it seems. But he's just managing the body. But um, yeah, I mean, another learning curve. We remember Andy Murray. You know, he he cramped. Um, in matches, you know, it wasn't plain sailing for. You know, I think. All of the top guys. I think probably the only one it was plain sailing for was was Federer, maybe. Yeah, possibly. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, Djokovic had a bit had a had a oh, few in the, few dips uh, to begin early with. Early stages of his career with allergies, not finishing matches, and uh, yeah, mentioned in passing that um, our crash performance against Sitsipas. Can we just now mention Stefanos Sitsipas and Paola Badosa, Badosa Badosa, yeah. who? Uh, I mean, not only are they apparently a couple, but they are. They're putting it out there for the world to see. I mean, it's it, it felt like it came from nowhere and suddenly it's everywhere. I know. They seem so happy, don't they? They look like they're obsessed with each other. That's so nice. It's, I, had a, I had a couple of my friends were going to work at a paddle tournament in Dubai. And they sent me a message and they said, we're just at the airport and we've seen Sitzpens and Pedosa being very touchy-feely and affectionate in the middle of Dubai airport. When they just there arrived. They they hadn't seen or heard at this point. We'd sort of seen and heard about it, so it wasn't. I wasn't as surprised as if that had just suddenly come out of the blue. But it's it's kind of everywhere. But then I guess it's good if you stick it out there. It's not some secretive thing that people are talking about. It's just. I mean, as you say, g- good luck to them. Congratulations. Good them. for them. And maybe that eased his pain a little bit of that defeat by Alcaraz. I mean, that was genuinely <laughs> just watching some of that tennis going. Genuinely, and, and again, we, with Alex Gretchen, just kept looking, going, and he he was just like he just like shrugging his shoulders. And I mean, that's astonishing. I mean, it, and it you're was, like, this guy's been in the final. I just yeah, and he was like, and I was, it's astonishing. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The women's side of things. We had some lovely, well, there were some nice stories. Alina Svitolina. I mean, look, I'm not an athlete. It was hard enough getting back in shape after having the boys. But for her, she gave birth to Sky, I think, October. And then to win 
she won Strasbourg in the lead yeah. up to it. And then to go on the run, she did. And the way she plays, it's never going to be easy. You know, she's got, she's got to fight. She's got to stay out there. She's got to move. I just, I thought with that one win from Gail Monfils before he had to pull out with his wrist, I thought that was one of those really lovely stories seeing what Svitolina was doing. Yeah, it was, yeah, it really was a massive highlight, wasn't it, of the tournament? It was just so great. Yeah. I, what I loved is to see her different perspective and you know she talked about it a little bit that she was always stressed about points and about maintaining a ranking and you know always you know winning for a certain reason I suppose and and competing for a certain reason and actually this time just felt like she was on court just playing for herself and for her family I guess um and I'm sure she's learned a lot of that from Gail as well um and uh felt like she was sort of adopted a little bit by the French crowd um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, if she's good enough for Gail, she's good enough for the French crowd, surely. And um, yeah, no, it's just nice. And I mean, I always love watching Svitolina when she's playing at her best. Like, it's just, it's so feisty. It, it is, it's just all about competitiveness. She, she just doesn't have the natural abilities, the natural power, the natural, you know, everything really. You know, even the movement, I don't think it's that natural. I think that she is an, an example of somebody who is just so competitive, so driven, and has just absolutely maximised what she's got. Yeah. You know, I, I just don't think that you're you're looking at her as a junior going, oh, she's talented. You know, you're going, oh, she's competitive and she'll do whatever it takes to win. And yeah. and she's made this happen and she's been a phenomenal player. Like, oh, she's great. Yeah, I thought that. I thought that was really lovely. She was actually they were actually staying at our hotel, but I didn't really see that many people because I was never really there. I left early, came back very very late. Saw Monfils the evening when he just held a press conference to say he couldn't go on. So Yannick Sinner when he was checking out when he'd just been knocked out. Saw a lot of Leila Fernandez and her sister because she obviously got through to the doubles final with Taylor Townsend. That's a that's a lovely pairing, isn't it? So I saw her, um, and then. Do you remember Leslie Bowery, French Open champion of, of years gone by? Leslie's lovely, Australian. Uh, I used to work with Leslie and Bill at Wimbledon years ago. On my last day, I was sitting in reception. I couldn't, I couldn't find an Uber. No Ubers in Paris Monday after Roland Garros. Just none. And I was sitting there thinking, gosh, I might... I was very calm. But I was thinking, gosh, I might actually miss my plane at this point. And then I saw Leslie Barry walk past. I said, Leslie, how are you? She said, great. I haven't seen you. Da, da, da. What are you doing? I said, well, I'm trying to find, trying to find a taxi at the moment. She said, come with us. Because she had a tournament car. And then the man arrived and he said, oh, Leslie, former champion. I am delighted to take you to the airport. Oh, and nice. She'd come over with her daughter and she said that the French treat former champions beautifully. You know, there's, there's, there's meals, there's events. There's tennis. She said, it's such a wonderful experience coming back to Roland Garros every year because they look after the former champion so well. And she said it's absolutely... So it was really lovely. So she drove me to the airport. We got a lovely catch-up, got to meet her daughter, talk about working together in the years gone by at, at Wimbledon, those days. And that was really nice. Sorry, I've just gone on a complete tangent. But that was... <laughs> you got <laughs> that, your flight. That was I got my flight. And that was a little bit about a hotel where Linda Svetlina was staying. When it came to... Iga Svantec, who turned 22, she got tiramisu and that massive Colosseum Lego kit that just made me start shaking because the amount of Lego kits, and you're going to get there, you're going to get there with baby Rog that you put together and you miss a piece and they don't work. 
I don't know how Shrontek can find it soothing or satisfying because if I never saw another piece of Lego again, it'd be too soon. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to Lego. Oh, oh you say yeah. it. You, you say it. You're all like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. But when he, when he loses a piece, when you tread on it in the middle of the night when you go into the bathroom, when it doesn't work because you've missed a piece... There'll be none of this. I'm looking forward to Lego. None. You know the boys' <laughs> birthday enough. parties this weekend. Yes. And the mothers were saying, "Can I have some present ideas?" I was like, "No Lego." And a couple of the mums worked for Lego. I was like, "Please don't give us any Lego." So sorry, I've I've gone off again at one. But um, yes, Iggy Schwantek. She had it. We did ask actually. Courtney Nguyen asked on behalf of us if she'd started the Coliseum, and she said no because I'll probably lose pieces. I can't do it yet. She was focusing on doing what she does so well and that is getting to Grand Slam finals and winning them yeah she just overwhelmed everyone didn't she she's very good at that isn't she that's that just getting there she's dropped her first set in a final but she just gosh she's good isn't she yeah pretty much it's <laughs> just ridiculously good um I mean she you know she overwhelms people with how quickly she plays how aggressive she is with her positioning on the court. She gets that little bit of extra time on the clay, which is very important, especially against the bigger hitters, because they don't overwhelm her. But she didn't really play that many bigger hitters this time. You know, she did play against yeah. Sabalenka. Rybakina had to um, pull out as well. So, you know, she was sort of... It would have been interesting to see what would have happened against them. But I still, I think, would have favoured her because of the just a little bit of extra time she would have got. She would have been able to rush them. And you know what she does? She stands inside the baseline in the in the very middle and she just goes corner to corner and she just melts it, just side to side to side. I mean, for most players, it takes two of those to win. Against the better players, it would take three, maybe four. Um, but ultimately, that's she just she just does. It's a it's phenomenal um, to see. So yeah, amazing, really. Fourth fourth slam. So I think it would be different though. It'd be interesting to say on the grass, the bigger hitters will be a bit more suited. I, I don't think she's the favourite at Wimbledon. No, I, I, and I think we we said the same last year, didn't we? There was we, we didn't have a. And I'm not saying we got our predictions right because <laughs> we don't. But she definitely wasn't. She definitely wasn't one of our picks. And Carolyn Mukova, her coach, has actually just come out recently saying that she was suffering from the same thing as Rebecca, the, the you know the allergy, the heavy chest, the tightness. The but the doctor said she she would be she could play, but it would be harder. And I think that the, the sort of takeaway from Mukova is it's so great that she's she she plays a lovely brand of tennis. She doesn't have that one big shot but she's got lots of weapons which she said is a good thing it's a bad thing but I really like how she plays she seems to stay very calm I don't know what she's like you know she doesn't give a lot away and it's isn't it great though that she's fit and she's healthy and she's finally being able to to show people and, and play the kind of tennis that like she said as a junior she got injured and she was the second best Czech player and then she got forgotten about a bit like I remember Del Potro said that when he won the US Open he got injured everyone just sort of forgot and she said it was really hurtful because she'd gone from being number two and talked about to no one was interested at all and yeah and that's what happens and it's it seems like her body is something she is she said at Indian Wells she's continually going to have to be careful with it and monitor it a bit more than others but it's just it's really nice to see her fit and healthy and and playing like that yeah I always thought that you need like two full seasons to see 
sort of really where you can you can get to. I don't know actually whether Mukova's ever had that. To be honest, no, I don't. Th- I don't think I don't she has. Don't think she has. She's probably she has. at about a season now. Um, so yeah, will will be really interesting. I think you know she's she's obviously good on the grass. So she's got a lot of um, potential there. It's always hard to back up a final, especially when it's a bit of a breakthrough. But yeah, I mean, the thing in, in terms of people forgetting about you, people only remember what you've done, not what you could have done. It doesn't really matter what the reason is. You know, you think about Monica Sellers, for example, what she could yeah. have achieved is absolutely bonkers. Um, what she did achieve was bonkers. But, you know, when you look at numbers it pales in significance in terms of the amount of slams etc um because of because of everybody else that's come since oh there was a there was a thud and you disappeared <laughs> i'm hoping you're still there my phone. it's what you were saying it's only went bang i was like is that the end is this the end that you've been is this, <laughs> is this the end that you've been i am drop. i am conscious that i don't want you to talk too much because then you might start sending me pictures of your tonsils that I just don't want to see. Um, so we're onto the grass because tennis doesn't stop and suddenly we're on the grass. Um, I, I happened to be at Wimbledon yesterday and, oh, A, it's lovely because there's no one there. Well, there's people there, but there's, you know, relatively no one there. And it's green and it's calm and the flowers. And you just think, oh, I, I do love the clay. Oh, but you get to the grass, you're like, I just think I did lots of deep breathing and thinking, oh, this is lovely. So that was nice. And I thought, gosh, it, it doesn't stop. And we, we move on, we move on. So let's do our yearly. What's going to be the biggest challenge for players, clay to grass, especially those not as natural or with not as much experience on the grass? What are the biggest challenges for the next few weeks? Well, get low, as I say every year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's important to repeat. That's it. Although I must say, I had a little hit on the grass at, um, at All England Club. It is very firm. It's not. Right. It's not like it used to be. I mean, you used to go on the grass and you fit, you would feel under so much time pressure that you 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 felt like you had to take your racket back before your opponent even hit the shot. Like you just have to yeah. guess. They're probably going to my forehand. <laughs> I'm just going to try. It was just that you just had no time to react because it was so slick, um, and it has got harder and harder every year. And it just didn't really feel like that. Um, I mean, obviously, it's not going to be slow, but it feels slow because you're expecting it to really shoot through so much more. So, yeah, um, yeah so I don't know whether in terms of the expectations of playing on the surface um, are necessarily the same as they, they always have been. I mean, of course, it's going to maximise a certain type of player that um, yeah. or there are types multiple of, of player that it can can maximize but I mean you've got players that are desperately looking to get as many matches as possible on the grass that's the big thing it's the short turnaround you've got yep. somebody like Djokovic who says I'm only going to play Wimbledon and that's and he fine not, normally does an exhibition doesn't he there's a boodles, the boodles or, there's yeah. a couple of little things he can pop up at and just get on the grass yeah but really he'll just back himself that you know he'll yep. work his way into the tournament um so yeah I mean it it's now is the time that that players are really just trying to see how they're shaping up on the grass. You're getting some huge wins as well for for players um, as people come from the French Open and they they just get their feet on the grass and they're not playing well. I saw Azarenka lost um, earlier today. Um, Andy Murray won the challenger. Did he win the challenger? He won the challenger, didn't he? Yep, yep. Um, yeah, it's just it's just a completely different phase, and it's just. 
I think the biggest thing, even though we've got an extra week now, is sort of hilarious because it's just so quick. It's just really hard. Yeah. If you're not winning matches, you are not getting time on the grass. You just, you know, yeah, sure, you can practice, but it's not the same. Um, and if you keep losing first round, you know, that's the thing. Yeah, you know, But people might go, oh, Andy's won a, a challenger, so what? Um, but he's just played five matches or five, four matches on grass, four or five matches on grass. Um, that's the point. Uh, so yes, yeah. it's the grass, it's it's the matches, it's the wins, and in the next few weeks we'll talk about it loads. I think we're not going to be physically together to Wimbledon, and then as we know we'll be shifted on different matches at the far ends of Wimbledon, so we're not even going to be anywhere near each other. Um, <laughs> but we'll but we'll physically be in the same location. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. We'll save predictions. I've got the boys' birthday party this Saturday, which I am preparing. Lots and lots of seven, eight year olds football party. It's going to be hot. I'm going to have to cover, spray them with sun cream every opportunity, cover them in water. It's, uh, can you hear the stress in my voice building? Sounds um, so, so excited. We, oh. And then today, one of the twins, we got to school and his best friend was there. And he said, Mummy, just wondering, can I have a play date with my best friend? And I was like, when? He said, after the party. And I felt like saying, you are kidding me. After the party, when everyone's gone, I want to sit down with a drink and just in a dark room <laughs> and recover. So I was like, oh, let's think about it. Sh- shall we think about it? Oh, lovely. Okay, have a nice day at school. So, um, yeah, I've got that this Saturday. So I'm I'm gearing up. Party bags are ready. Uh, it's the most important thing that anyone cares about, by the way. So be very <laughs> okay. good with your party bags. Party bags. Comes. Party bags are very important. Um, so I've got that this weekend. So back from the clay, a brief moment on the grass, boy's birthday, and then grass all the way until the end of this very short spell. Grass, grass, grass. It's so grass, exciting. Grass, grass, grass. It's very exciting. I look forward to more of your very excitable voice notes. And and we'll <laughs> we'll <laughs> and we'll pod again soon. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.